0: Revelation chapter 4, we did read this scripture last week. We actually read the whole chapter last week, or the whole, uh, yeah, we did, we read the whole chapter, but this week we're going to read just verses 8 through 11. So last week we talked about our call to worship, and we are called to worship God. And worship is not just the couple hours we spend here on Sunday. Worship is our life before God. Worship is not only a call, but worship is also a response, our response to worship. So worship is the central activity of heaven. And at the center of worship is he who sits on the throne. So on Wednesday night, we're We're going through Revelation chapter 4 right now, and in this picture of Revelation chapter 4 that is recorded here for us, and we see this throne that is central to everything in heaven. So at the center of everything in heaven is the throne, and he who sits on that throne, and everything flows out from that throne. So worship is is the central activity in heaven. I don't believe it will be the only activity in heaven, but it will no doubt be central to all things in heaven and all things done in heaven. There will be nothing we do in heaven that will not involve or evoke worship in us. Now remember, we're talking about heaven now because we're on earth and there is a heaven but remember in the book of Revelation, as we get to the end of the book, we see heaven and earth merge and become one. And so ultimately, eternally, when we talk about heaven, heaven is not someplace removed from us. Heaven is not up there while we're down here. Heaven is the dwelling place of God and his people eternally. And there is a coming a day when God will bring heaven and earth Together. This is what's pictured for us in the, the last chapter of Revelation. The new heaven and the new earth is not a heaven and an earth that are separated from one another, but a heaven and an earth that are joined and become one with one another. The prayer of Jesus teaches us, it reminds us that whatever is in heaven is also to be on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as worship is central in heaven, worship must be central on earth. All we do as God's people should include, should evoke in us the worship of God. I mean, think about driving somewhere and seeing the beauty of God's creation. It just just evokes something in us that wants us to make us worship him. And we say, thank you, God, for that beautiful sunrise. Or thank you, God, for that beautiful sunset. Or thank you for that magnificent mountain range. Or you go to the ocean and you see the ocean. You just think about, I mean, the mystery and the beauty of the ocean, the depth of the ocean. It just makes you thankful because God and his creation are so wondrous and amazing. The worship revealed to us in heaven gives us a model for our worship here on earth. So let's read these verses. Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 8 through the end of the chapter. Verse 8, the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they did not rest day or night, saying, Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, "'You are worthy, O Lord.'" to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel which is the power of God to salvation, power to break through the hardness of our hearts, And save us. And we thank you for that salvation that has been given to us in Jesus. And we thank you that you have given to us mere men. Frail men. Sinful man redeemed by a sinless and holy God. We thank you that you have given to us the gospel. To preach it. To teach it. To live it. To make it known that men can be saved. Father, we ask that you would take your gospel, even today, as we read it, as we speak it, as we teach it, as we study it, as we hear it, that you would take it and that you would change us, change our hearts and change our minds, conform us, God, to the very image of the Lord Jesus. We ask this for your glory, that we would be a people, a church that would give witness to you and to your glory in the earth. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So there are a lot of things that we don't know about heaven. It's a mysterious place. There are a lot of things that are misunderstood about it. There are a lot of things like what it is, where it is, even when it is. But one thing we can know for sure One thing we are sure of, and that is that worship exists in heaven, and that worship defines everything that happens in heaven. This is the picture that we are seeing, and it's not just worship defining everything that happens in heaven, but we see in this very picture presented for us here in Revelation chapter 4, that worship also defines everything that happens in all of creation, Because the worship of heaven is not confined to heaven. The worship of heaven extends and fills all of creation. We know now, scientifically, astronomers have, they now know that planets actually sing. That's a fact. Planets are emitting a frequency and there is a frequency that even a planet, emits sound. Birds sing all the time. Do you ever wonder what birds are singing about? You say, well, Pastor Jeff, they're just, you know, creatures that evolved to sing. That's how they communicate with one another. Okay. If you want to believe that, that's fine. But who gave birds their voice? The pond of slime that they evolved out of? Thank you all to know Jesus gave birds their voice. And I think Jesus gave birds a voice to sing praise to their creator. And, you know, I've never met a bird who said to me, you know, I don't think I want to praise my creator today, so I'm just not going to sing. You ever met a bird that doesn't sing? They all sing. They're all praising their creator. The very sound of a bird singing is praise to the creator. Whether you believe that or not, whether you think that or not is is not material. It's a moot point because that is exactly what it is because it is the creator that gave them the voice to sing. And so they sing. Guess who gave planets a frequency to sing? The creator of those planets did. Guess what gave everything a frequency by which to sing? Its creator did. This is why we can say the very creation is praising the creator. Worship that that extends from the throne central to all things is extended throughout and fills the very creation we live in. So worship is central in heaven, it's central on earth, it's central in all creation. And there is worship throughout and in all of creation. Now, I've read to you these verses from Revelation chapter 4. And in these verses recorded for us by the Apostle John, we have the first recorded picture of worship in the book of Revelation in heaven. So in, in Revelation chapter 4, when, when John hears the voice and says, come up here, and he's, he's carried away, he's in the spirit, and he is seeing these things happening, he enters into a realm of worship, and he is observing the worship of heaven. But the first picture of worship shown us in the book of Revelation is not here in Revelation chapter 4. The first picture of worship in Revelation actually is shown to us in Revelation chapter 1. When John writes in Revelation chapter 1 verse 10, speaking of himself, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. That is a picture of worship. So before ever John, before he ever saw the worship in heaven as he was carried away in that heavenly vision. Whether it was a vision or whether he was actually there, it doesn't really matter. We know what he saw because he recorded it. But before, ever John, before John ever saw worship in heaven, guess what John was doing on the earth? He was worshiping on the earth. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day. In other words, he was worshiping God on a Sunday morning. John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, worshiping on earth when he was given the revelation. So we see on earth as it is in heaven. He was fulfilling the prayer of Jesus. He was worshiping on earth at the very same time there was worship taking place in heaven. We are worshiping today on earth. This is worship. And we are worshiping today at the very same time there is worship taking place in heaven. On the day we call Sunday, also known as the Lord's Day, we see John in the spirit worshiping. This was the pattern established by the apostles early in the life of the church. Sunday morning in celebration of the resurrection became A day of worship. It was the day the church assembled together to worship together. The fact that John indicates he was in the Spirit should remind us of the words of Jesus that he records in his gospel account John chapter 4, verses 23 through 24. Jesus, these are the words of Jesus, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit. Where was John on the Lord's day when we see him here in Revelation? He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now, does that mean he was in some kind of spiritual trance? I don't know, but we know he was in the spirit. For the Father, listen to what he says, but the hour is coming is now, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. At the very least, if this doesn't completely define What it means for John to be in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, at the very least, it includes this. John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and what was he doing? He was worshiping God. How must we worship God according to the words of Jesus? We must worship Him in Spirit and in truth. Now, depending on your church background, that can mean different things. But we don't define things based on our church background. We define things based on the Bible, right? Those who worship God must worship him in spirit and truth. John was in the spirit on the Lord's day doing what we are doing here today. He was worshiping God. We are worshiping God in spirit and truth. What did God give to us? What did God pour out to his church on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus? He poured out his spirit on all flesh in fulfillment of what the prophet wrote. Not, remember, all flesh doesn't mean our pets, all flesh means Jew and Gentile. All flesh means that it wasn't just the gift given to the Jews, but it's the gift given to all flesh. This is why Paul writes in two of his epistles, there is now neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free. It's why he writes in Ephesians chapter 2 that God broke down the middle wall of separation. He abolished the two and made one creating in himself one new man, no longer Jew, no longer Gentile, but now one new man in Jesus Christ. And how did we become, how do we become that one new man? What do we all have to make us one? We've been baptized into one spirit, into one body, into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. By what spirit have we been baptized into that body? By the Holy Spirit. True worship is in spirit and truth. We can make that much more mystical and much more... um, We can make it less real than it really is. That is a very real and practical thing. If you are in Christ and the Spirit of God lives in you, you are to worship. And you cannot rightly and truly worship the living God if you are not in spirit. Or if the Spirit is not in you. You can go through the motions. You can say all the right things and do all the right things. But you cannot worship in spirit unless you are in the spirit. You cannot worship in truth unless the truth is in you. And who is the truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. And Jesus lives in us by the spirit. So as children of God, filled with his spirit... Set free in the truth as we have come to know it, even as Jesus is in the truth and is the truth, we are called to worship Him. We are created to worship Him. And it's in this context that we worship. Worship is an eternal activity in heaven and on earth, In the revelation given to John, we have pictured for us in heaven the four living ones, the four living creatures around the throne eternally worshiping God. And here's what it says here in, in Revelation chapter 4. And they do not rest day or night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. This is the first picture of worship in heaven given to us by John in the Revelation. It reveals much about our own worship here on earth. Worship in uh, the worship of heaven. So the worship we see here in heaven is eternally declaring something. Whether you realize it or not, your worship is declaring something. You're sitting here right now, not saying a word, you're listening to me, but your presence here, your assembling here is declaring something. Remember, we read this last week in in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, where Paul says, It has been given to the church to make known to powers and principalities in heavenly places, the manifold, the multifaceted, the variegated, the multi-sided, Wisdom of God. In other words, God's wisdom doesn't just have one side. It doesn't just have two sides. It's got more sides than you can count. In your presence, your life on earth, which is to be defined by your worship of God, your life is making a declaration to power and principalities, declaring to them, The wisdom of God, if it's declaring that to powers and principalities in the heavenly places, guess what it's declaring in the earthly realms—the very same thing. Your assembling together, your worship, your visible worship, is declaring to the world, declaring to the earth, the wisdom of God. You do know that there are some people who say, "Look at those foolish Christians." They could be sleeping on Sunday morning. They could be doing anything on Sunday morning and they'd get up and they'd go to church. How dumb is that? Your worship is declaring something. Your worship is either evoking worship in others or it is evoking the foolishness of those who say there is no God. Your worship is making known something. So worship the worship of heaven, and our worship on earth is eternally declaring. What's it declaring? Well, we see this by what the four living creatures around the throne are declaring eternally, nonstop, day and night. They declare the holiness of God, holy, holy, holy. Holiness is the very nature of God. It is what God is. What is God? He is holy. That's what he is. He's holy. Holy, holy, holy. This is the first attribute that is declared here in this vision given to us, picturing for us worship in heaven. It is the living ones around the throne declaring the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy. Why is there three for emphasis, I'm sure, but also three, I believe, for the triune God. The Father is holy. The Son is holy. The Spirit is holy. This is our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, holy, holy, holy. Who is God? What is God? He is holy. And in our worship, we declare the holiness of God. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Those three words make up basically the name of God. Lord God Almighty. It is declaring the power and the authority of who God is. The name of God. This is who God is. He is the Lord God Almighty. Almighty doesn't just describe his power. It doesn't just describe his authority. It does. But inherent in the very name of God is all power and all authority. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Our worship declares the holiness of God. Our worship declares the absolute power and authority of our God, our almighty God. This is the name of God. Holiness describes the nature of God. The Lord God Almighty gives us the name. This is his name. This is who God is. He is the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The worship of heaven declares the holiness of God, the power and the authority of God. It declares the eternity of God, who was and is and is to come. The now of God. God is not a past tense. God is not a future tense. God is not just a present tense. He, he is the eternal God. This declares the eternal now of God. When God is. When is God? He's now. Will he be? No, he is now. Was he? No, he is now. This who was and is and is to come, gives us this picture that God is all-encompassing, not just all-encompassing of time, because eternity transcends time. There is no time in eternity. God doesn't have a beginning, and God doesn't have an end. God is eternal. Our worship declares this reality of God, Worship is an eternal activity that makes known by declaration what God is, who God is, and when God is. He is holy, holy, holy. He is the Lord God Almighty. He was and is and is to come. He is eternally now. That's why God never goes out of date. That's why His truth and His Word never grow old. They never expire. Well, you know, we're living in the 21st century. Why are we still living by values that were written down two to 4,000 years ago? Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah, but you know, in today's culture, we can identify as any gender we want to, and that's okay. No, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, What God made you when he formed you in your mother's womb is who you are. It doesn't matter what you believe in your head. You can identify as whatever you want, but you are who you are by the grace of God. And do you know that you are by the grace of God? Do you know your very existence on earth is by the grace of God? And this is what was declared here in the worship that we see in heaven. The worship of heaven is eternally giving. It says, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, and how often do they do that? Without stopping, without rest. They are giving their worship without stopping, without rest. It is eternal. They give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. The worship of heaven is eternally giving to the Lord glory and honor and thanks. This giving of worship to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, is eternal because God is eternal. He is the God who was and is and is to come. Worship is the activity of earth and heaven that eternally informs all that we do. So there is this eternal giving of glory and honor and thanks in the worship of heaven. That means there is to be the giving of glory and honor and thanks in the worship of earth. This is why I told the kids, the very simple act of giving thanks, of saying thank you, is an act of worship. Because ultimately, whatever you thank a person, let's just say somebody gives you something. See, somebody hands you a fresh-baked cookie. Thank you. You eat that cookie and you enjoy that cookie. Man, that was really good. Thank you for giving me that cookie. That was really good. Now, you might not think of that as an act of worship, but if you really thought about it, where did that cookie come from? Well, my friend baked it. Well, yeah, yeah, I know. But, but really, think about where did that cookie come from? Well, I, I went to H-E-B and I bought the ingredients. Okay, yeah. But let's, let's keep going farther back. How'd those ingredients get to H-E-B? Well, I don't know. They came from a warehouse somewhere. You see where I'm going? Well, ultimately, they, they were all grown on the earth, produced on the earth somewhere. Well, well how, how did they get there? Well, well, how did the earth get here to grow the wheat and the sugar cane and all the other ingredients that were in that cookie? How did all that get here? Well, God put it here. If you believe the Bible, and I hope you do, So when you say thank you, even for something as simple as a cookie that someone gives you, that thank you is declaring praise to God because you could not have that cookie. You couldn't enjoy that cookie. That cookie could not exist but for the God who created all things that exist. Our very thank you is an act of worship, but we don't even realize that. Worship in spirit and truth by true worshipers of the true and the living God is producing something real here and now and for eternity. Our worship produces something. This is why worship is powerful. You think coming to church doesn't do anything. Nobody notices. We're making no difference. No. You absolutely are. The difference you're making is not based on what you see. It's not based on what you can perceive. Remember, it's like planting that tree and then sitting there in a chair waiting for it to grow to be 80 or 90 feet. You're gonna be sitting in that chair for a long time. And just because you can't see the tree growing doesn't mean the tree isn't growing. Just because you can't see things happening doesn't mean things aren't happening. Because worship by its very nature is doing something powerful in heaven and on earth and throughout all creation. We're just human beings who are impatient, who are driven by our emotions, who are driven by sight. This is why the Bible says you walk by faith and not by sight. We we know the Bible says that, but we don't live by that. We live by our sight. We live by what we can see, we live by what we can perceive, we live by what we can measure. Well, I can't measure anything happening, so nothing must be happening. No. Don't live by what you can measure, what you can see. Live by what the Bible declares to be. And the Bible says your worship is powerful. The Bible, the Bible, which pictures worship for us throughout the pages of Scripture. And when we read the Bible, when we read the history of God's people, we know that worship is doing something powerful. We also know that when God's people fail to worship, it's doing something equally powerful, working in the opposite direction. As our life conforms to worship in spirit and in truth, our life is producing what God has promised to build. What did Jesus promise that he would build? His church. Remember, he said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And in building that church, he has promised to build a continuing and eternal city. Remember in Hebrews 11, when it's going through the the hall of faith there, and it's listing the patriarchs, and it talks about Abraham. Abraham lived in tents with Jacob, with Isaac and Jacob. Jacob. Not living in a city. Why? Because he was looking for a city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. He, Abraham never lived in a city. He was waiting for a city. Do you know he's living in that city now? It's shown to us in Revelation chapter 21. It's called the New Jerusalem. It's also called the Bride of the Lamb, which means, guess what, you are. You are the church, and the church is the called-out assembly of God's people, but you're also the city of God. You are the new Jerusalem. You are the place that Abraham sought to dwell while he was living in tents roaming around in the earth, in the promised land. We are the city. We're not all of the city. We're only part of the city. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 14 through 16. Listen to the writer of Hebrews. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is The fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name, but do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. The city to come is the new Jerusalem. We are that city. The church is the city of God. The worship of the church is not just producing a response in heaven, but on earth and throughout all creation. Worship is active, not only in what we say, but what we do. Worship is the act of offering our sacrifice to God, a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Worship is the act of doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. This is what the writer of Hebrews has pinned here. This is how we begin to understand that worship defines our entire life. It defines how we live. The sacrifices mentioned in Hebrews 13 remind us that worship is not only an activity we join in each week. Worship is our very life and lifestyle. It's what we do. It's who we are. It's what defines us. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or your reasonable act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do we prove that? How is that tested? It's tested in your life. How do you test drive a car? You drive it. How is your life tested? You live it. How is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God proved or tested in your life? It's by how you live your life. And how you live your life is also how you worship. And how you worship is is how you live your life. Presenting your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, H-O-L-Y, acceptable to God is our reasonable act of worship. Worship is how I live my life daily. It's how I act and interact before God and with those around me. Worship is active and daily. Worship is our life before God. It's our life in this world, and it is our life with one another. We don't worship God on an island. Our worship of God is not just this, and forget this. Our worship of God is everything you can't worship God and not love your brother. You can't love your brother and not worship God. Worship defines everything in our life. All of our relationships. Not just my relationship with God, but, but the relationships we have with one another. And that doesn't matter whether we're, we're best friends or whether we're complete strangers. Worship defines our life. Like life, worship is to be done in community. We were created to worship, not just individually, but as a body, as a community, as a city. That's why Peter says, you are a holy nation. The worship of heaven calls for a response. Now look at this. Verse 9, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, something happens. As the living creatures are giving thanks to God, glory and honor and thanks, verse 10 says the 24 elders sitting on those 24 thrones fall down before him who sits on the throne, that central throne, and they worship him. They worship him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne, saying. So this is all happening simultaneously. Worship takes place by the living creatures that are around and in the midst of the throne, and in response to that worship, guess what happens? More worship. The living creatures worship. Guess what happens? The 24 elders worship. They fall down before the throne. They cast their crowns before their throne, saying. That means the whole time they're worshiping actively, physically. They're doing something. They're not just sitting there. There is something happening. They are falling down before the throne, casting their crowns before the throne, all the while saying, are you ready? You are worthy, O Lord. To receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist. And we're created. Think about that cookie again. How how does it exist? Here's the picture right here. This is why the cookie exists. This is why you can say thank you for things people give you, for things you receive. And when we say thank you for even the smallest thing we may receive, it should remind us of this great truth, that the reason we have to worship, the reason we're able to worship, the privilege of being able to worship comes from the reality that God created. Worship calls for a response. Worship responds to worship. The response of the 24 elders to the worship of the living ones is to fall down, to cast their crowns, and to declare, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things And by your will, they exist and were created. The response of worship declares the worth of God, the glory of God, the honor of God, the power of God, all bound up in the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is seen in the willful creation of all things by the Creator. Why does the cookie exist? Because there is a sovereign God who willfully created all things. And from all things that he created, we can get something as wonderful and as delicious and as, as simple as a cookie. Or we can get things that are so far beyond our ability to comprehend and to understand but yet we stand in awe of them because we see them. We experience them. but We have no words to accurately describe them. We have no way to, to, to fully comprehend them. But there we see in the creation all that God has made. And why did he make it? Well, the Bible tells us because it was his will. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. In other words, apart from his will, they do not exist, and they would never be created. There is nothing that we have. There is nothing that did not first come from the will of God. This worship in heaven is declaring God in all of His worth, and all of His glory, and all of His honor, and all of His power that is bound up and revealed in His sovereign act of creation. This is why if you do not believe Genesis 1-1 and the following, you cannot truly believe in the God declared to us, revealed to us in the Scripture. The sovereignty of God is seen in the willful creation of all things by the Creator. We worship the Creator of all things. We can worship only because we exist. And we exist only because He willed to create. And He willed to create according to His good pleasure in His complete sovereignty. Our worship is our proper response to the sovereign Creator of all things. This is why God commands worship. Remember last week? God doesn't demand worship. God commands worship. How does he do that? By the very nature, by the very virtue of who he is. When we think of the mind-blowing scope of creation when we realize that we cannot in our infinite minds begin to comprehend all that God has created and purposed in his sovereign will, we need perspective. You know what one of the things that brings us perspective? So I work with, um, I work with people who uh, experience trauma, specifically first responders. And very often, if someone has been traumatized. I responded, to a, a, I responded to a death, a traumatic death last week. It was at a school campus in another county. And I was talking to the best friend of the young man who had tragically been killed. And that young man, as I sat there in that gymnasium, just me and him sitting there, he is just weeping and crying. He can't comprehend that his friend is dead, tragically dead. And this young man just, I mean, it's like violently shaking. And one of the things that, that we do in our training to help people that get into that, it's called grounding. Take a deep breath. Put your hands on your knees, touch, feel it, it. Just it brings you back, it grounds you. It's like okay, because you can, in very traumatic situations, kind of like lose touch with reality and consciousness, and that's what was happening to this young man. Well. When we think about God's creation, when we think about all that God is and all that God has done in His sovereignty, it is overwhelming to us. And if we start going off and we start trying to comprehend all of these things, this is where we get into difficulty. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, but we always need to do that, understanding that we are finite while God is infinite, that our ability to comprehend and to grasp all that God is and all that God does, we, we, we don't have the ability to do that. And God, on purpose, did not give us the ability to do that. Because if we had the ability to understand everything and to figure out everything and to put all our ducks in a row, so to speak, and to, to line everything up and cross all the T's and dot all the I's and get it all just the way we want it and we understand it just the way we want to understand it, there would be no need for faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith in its very nature tells us, informs us that we will never understand everything. We will never have all the answers in this finite realm, in these finite bodies with these finite minds. But what do we have and what has been revealed to us? We have an infinite God. We have an all-powerful, almighty, sovereign God who created everything just because he will to. And he has revealed himself to us and he has given us The cliff notes of his story. You think this is all there is to know about God? Even Jesus, even John says at the end of his gospel, if everything that Jesus said and did was recorded, the the world couldn't contain it. That's just 33 some odd years of Jesus' life on this earth. You think this is all there is to know of God? You think the eternal God is defined right here in this? No. No. But you know what this is? This is what God has chosen to give us. This is what God has revealed to us. This is the scripture. This is the word that reveals to us this God who has created all things in his sovereignty, who will that they exist. He's revealed himself to us in this word. And what is in here, he's made known to us that this is what we need to know. And what we can't know beyond this, what do we do? We trust him. We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by sight all the time, and that's okay. But there will always come times in our life where we can't see where we're going. We can't get it all lined up. We can't get it all figured out. Well, what do you do? You keep going. Well, how do you walk? You walk by faith. What do you do when it gets dark? You keep walking. For the Lord is with you. His rod and His staff will comfort you, lead you. What grounds us are simple things. And one of the most important things to ground us is this table right here. Think about the creation. Think about God. Think about all the mystery and think about all the majesty and think about all the things that Blow our minds. But yet, what does God do? He invites us to a table. He invites us to dinner. Something so simple. The table of the Lord, in its deep simplicity, gives us perspective on our God in all of his ways. As our minds are overwhelmed, God grounds our hands and he grounds our feet at his table. Here, come sit down at my table. Put your feet on the ground and put your hands on my table. And know that I am God. And know that I have simply invited you. Yeah, but how did I get here? Don't worry about that. I made a way where there was no way. I have done what you cannot do. I have brought you to the place that you would never be able to come yourself. God has done this in his grace. The table reminds us, it grounds us, it gives us perspective. There is the worship of heaven that is so far beyond our ability to comprehend it. We have words on a page that can never fully describe what's transpiring right now in heaven. But you know what we can understand? I can understand that table. I can understand bread, and I can understand wine. I can understand bread and a cup. I can understand those things. And those very simple things communicate to us and ground us in the infinite mystery that God is. And in that infinite mystery of all that he is and all that he has done, he reveals himself to us in the most simple ways that bring us back to this place where we are simply grounded in him and I might not know even an iota of who God is and all that there is to know in him but here's what I know he sent his son to this earth he descended to the earth because I could not ascend to him And his son put on humanity, put on flesh, and lived a perfect life because I could not. And when I was the one that deserved to die on the cross and take that punishment and that wrath, the son took it for me. And now I'm invited to God's table to dine with him. He makes a place for me. He reserved a place for me in Jesus Christ. And he says, don't worry about understanding all the mysteries. Just just come and sit down and have dinner with me. Just come to my table and eat my bread and drink my wine. And know that I love you. And know that I have done what you could never do. He has done what would never have even entered into our thoughts to do. That's what the Bible says. That's what Paul writes. Eye is not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. You could have never imagined it in your wildest imaginations, what God has done. But yet, He's revealed it to us and He invites us to come to His table. This is worship. The very simple act of eating a meal is worship. We are created for worship. So church, come to Jesus. Worship Jesus. Come to his table and thank him that he has invited you and made a place that you could have never made for yourself. Welcome to Jesus. All of our worship is important. Every aspect of our worship is important. Our singing is important. Our praying is important. Our preaching is important. All of that is important. But I'm going to tell you, there is nothing more important than coming to that table each week and being reminded of what Jesus has done and what Jesus has promised. He is faithful. He will Do what he has promised. Let's all stand. You are created to worship. Worship is not one thing, worship is everything. Worship is our life. Our life is defined by worship, and we worship what we love, and what we love, we worship. Jesus commands us to love God and to love one another, and our worship should inform our love for God, and it should inform our love for one another. Worship must always include the assembling of ourselves together. Worship is personal and private, but at the very heart of worship, it is corporate. The picture that God gives us throughout Scripture of worship is a picture of corporate worship. Jesus made this plain when he said we're... For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Certainly, Jesus never leaves us. He never forsakes us individually or personally. But God inhabits the praise of his people. And that habitation of God in the praise of his people is a picture of corporate worship. Our worship is powerful. Our worship is working in heaven and in earth and touching the very ends of the creation, not because we can see it, not because we understand it, but because God has ordained it to be so. And heaven knows our worship, and heaven sees our worship, and powers and principalities tremble at the worship of God's church and God's people. Because if no one else knows, if earth doesn't know, heaven knows and hell knows the power of God's people worshiping together. And don't you ever, ever forget that. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He is building his church and the gates of hell cannot, prevail against it because Jesus has declared it so. That, my friends, is good news. Amen.